It looks like they're having just a special evening of coffee and dessert and a message by Sonia Trujillo. Uh, she is of Calvary Chapel South LA. Um, I do know this, that Titus is one of, uh, uh, one of the pastoral letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, and he wrote this letter primarily to encourage his brother in the faith, Titus. And so, uh, ladies, I know just based on the title of this, Titus Tuesday, that you will be encouraged. And so uh, the cost is $10. Uh, Sign-ups are going to begin today at the uh, table, at the information table back there. So we want to encourage you to uh, be a part of that, get, get signed up, and I'm sure uh, that'll be a blessing. Um, and lastly, our, our final announcement for the day is we have uh, the paintball event that is coming up just around the corner. Um, we've had a great response to this, and uh, this is coming up this Saturday, uh, the Saturday, the June 25th. Uh, I can't believe it's June 25th already, by the way. Um, but um, we need to get the consent forms filled out. Uh, there is also a meeting at 9.30 a.m. at Thousand Pines. Um, if you want a carpool, you need to meet here at the church at 8.20 on Saturday. Meet promptly here by... Uh, whoa. We leave promptly at 8.30. Okay, they're leaving promptly at 8.30, so be here by 8.20. Okay, also, hey, like I said, there's been a great response to this event, um, but there is a waiting list. And so we're not taking any more signups, but if anybody, if anybody has already signed up and they're not going to be able to make it, please let uh, Darcy know uh, this morning. Uh, that way we can get those others who want to get signed up, and that way they could take place uh, take part in that event and sounds like we need a bigger venue to me but um, hopefully next year right uh, but this is a, a great opportunity just to get to get uh, have a day of fun and uh, shoot each other up with those paintballs <laughs> it's fun it's a good time and so uh, anyways for those again that aren't that are going but might not be going talk to talk to Darcy okay with that, why don't we sign up, or why don't we stand up and get signed up for all that stuff I talked about. Why don't we stand up, greet one another, and Pastor all coming up. God bless you. Well, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Welcome to Refuge and Fathers. Happy Father's Day. It is a, uh, a day we have set aside in acknowledgement of our fathers and um, just a, a special uh, stewardship that we have. Uh, it's, a, it's a gift that comes with much responsibility, and yet we have a great example as we go through scripture and we see what it is to be a father as has been defined, has been laid out uh, through the pages of scripture and has been exemplified perfectly by our father in heaven. 
Um, what I want to do is start out with a, a couple of verses in Psalm. In Psalm chapter 68, verse 5, it says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Uh, <clears throat> he is our perfect father. There are many, unfortunately, who are fatherless today in the U.S. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning and the impact that that has had on our society uh, within the hearts of the children and how that has affected many people throughout the years. But as we look to Scripture, what we need to fix our eyes upon, what we need to trust in and know that God is always faithful. He's always with us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he is truly a father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. There is nowhere that he isn't. He is with us and he will never leave us. In Psalm 103 verse 13 it says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Uh, we show it imperfectly. I fall way short of showing true and perfect compassion uh, to my own children. And I know we can all attest to that, right dads? As we consider ourselves, as we, as we show that to our kids, and then we we consider the Lord's compassion toward us. Oh, if we could just be a bit more compassionate toward them. But it says here that as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who, what? Fear him. Fear him. What we see here is that the fear, remember scripture tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, is what the Proverbs say, right? And that fear is a reverence. It's an honor. I always mention also that the fear of the Lord in the um, disciplinary sense is also good. Because not only do we revere, not only do we honor and respect, but we shouldn't be lax or flippant about also the discipline that we know comes to those whom he loves. And so we know our Father is good, and he is also just. He will have compassion upon us, but he will also rebuke us and correct us according to his word. We have an amazing Father. And so for anyone who perhaps um, has sensed in the past because of uh, different circumstances that you found yourself in, um, sense uh, just this feeling of, of being fatherless, of not having someone that you can look to, just know that our Lord is always there. And He is faithful, and He is good, and He is perfect in all His ways. This morning, we're going to go into various sections of Scripture and, uh, and so we're going to go through a message that is geared toward addressing fatherhood, and, uh, and that's going to come from Scripture. 
But for the moment, what I want to do is have all fathers and grandfathers uh, stand to your feet. We're going to pray for you. We need much prayer, so stand. There's a, a lack of fatherhood. There's, we have a bunch of males in, uh, in the world, in our nation, but there's, there's a lack of fatherhood. That is, that is being a father. And so we need to learn what that is, and we are in desperate need of God's anointing, His Spirit, His strength, His Word to indwell us, and that we be guided by him in order to stand boldly, courageously in a world that is fallen and is dark. Um, our children, our wives are counting on us. We, we are called upon by God to stand as, as men of God, as fathers who will stand in the gap intercede and even be willing to lay down our very lives for the sake of others, especially our wives, especially our children. And so that's why we are in desperate need of a lot of prayer. And it is important for others to pray for us. Right? And so um, everyone, let's, let's uh, join in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers who are standing right now, and Lord, we ask a special blessing upon each one. Lord, as fatherhood is a stewardship that you've entrusted to us, I ask, Lord, that you would not only fill us with your spirit, Lord, but give us understanding of your word. Give us your strength also, and help us to truly be courageous, to stand on the side of righteousness and truth. No matter what the world offers no matter what the world entices us with, no matter the direction the rest of the world is going in, I pray, Father, that you would help us to stand with you. Crown each one with wisdom. Give us discernment, eyes to see, and hearts that are inclined to obey you because we love you. And so, Father, I just... Again, thank you, Lord, for entrusting us with fatherhood, Lord. I, I just ask, Father, again, that you would fill us with your spirit and go before us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. You know, as we started this morning, and... Uh, we started with worship. <clears throat> and one of the songs that we sung were, Here I Am to Worship. And that was, um, I remember singing that song when we first really came to the Lord and started to serve Him. And I was, uh, I was just uh, reminded of just the, those first works, um, the way the Lord was, was moving in my own heart, what he had forgiven me of in that, in that time of, of my life, uh, what he was in the process of restoring 
the things that he was doing quickly flooded my mind and my heart. So if you're part of the worship team and you glance toward, you know, my direction, (laughs) it was... hard for me to continue (laughs) as it is now because I was thinking what the Lord has forgiven me of and then I thought oh, he desires to do this with every single one of us desires that we would um, surrender that we would simply yield to him he is good Desires to be a father to us, not religiously, but in in relationship, in a genuine relationship of communion, of intimacy, um, a salvific relationship to begin it all. That we would know Jesus as, as Savior, as Lord, and therefore be reconciled unto the Father through him. I was thinking of all of this and and then, it, and then it made me think of Revelation and what was spoken to uh, the church in Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, and this is not part of the message, this is just something that as I was worshiping the Lord, uh, He was ministering to me. And, and perhaps maybe you find yourself in the, in the same place, not in, the, in a, a really... Uh, just in a way to where the Lord just ministers to you in this sense. But to the church in Ephesus, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patience, patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false." I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, uh, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Have you ever felt like perhaps you're just not in the place that you were before? It could be just momentarily. I'm talking about from one week to the next or from one month to the next or one year to the next. It's just those times and and we need to be reminded of these things as we know that the Lord spoke to this, the seven churches. And so it is a word that is spoken to this church in its entirety. We cannot pick and choose as to which church we are or all of the above. That is why it's written to the churches and it's written to the church that we may understand. But this really ministered to me as I thought, you know, I want to be, I want to be zealous. I want to be 
filled with zeal and, and just energy and, and just a, a boldness about the Lord that, that, that I am just so in love with Jesus that I can't help but respond in a way that brings him glory. That I may, you, you, can, you can say, hey, listen, keep in mind and repent any time that I have abandoned the love that I had at first and get back to that. That song just brought me right back to that. What are you here for? Why are you here? Here I am to worship. Here I am to what? Bow down. Here I am to serve, to glorify, to learn, to grow in the Lord, to yield, to surrender. Here I am to know salvation. A relationship with the Lord. Here I am, and, and the list can go on, right? What are you here for? We need to be mindful of that, right? So, <clears throat> my hope is that you consider those things. I don't know, maybe it's for just one of you. Maybe it's for several of you. But the Lord, I know, maybe it was just for me, and I just wanted to share that with you. The Lord desires to minister to you. That's why it's important that at the very beginning that you don't waste any time. Worship is not a, a time to uh, make your way to church. It's, it's part of the worship. The fellowship beforehand, it's part of the worship. As we gather together and allow the Lord to prepare our hearts. That's why it's, it's important to be here. I was deeply ministered um, in and through the time of worship. Well, fathers, stand up and be counted. That's the title of this morning's message. Fathers, stand up and be counted. You know, there's a story that I heard of, um, of a, a Spanish, uh, Spain, speaking of Spain, uh, a father and a son who had become estranged. The son, you see, ran away and the father had set off to find him. He searched for months and could not find him. Finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. This is what the ad read. Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Well, Saturday came. He was in front of the newspaper office. And guess who showed up? Not one Paco. 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. I think those results would be very similar here in the U.S. Let's, uh, let's have a reality check here. Put things in proper perspective. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in a fatherless home, according to Texas Department of Corrections. Seven out of ten youth that are housed in state-operated correctional facilities, including detention and residential treatment, come from a fatherless home, 
according to the U.S. Department of Justice. 40% of students in the U.S., that is grades 1 through 12, do not have a father at home, according to NPR. Children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out from school before graduating than children who have a father in their lives. And children who, have, who live in a single-parent home are more than two times more likely to commit suicide than children in a two-parent home, according to The Lancet. And we know recently there was an 18-year-old who was responsible for murdering 19 children in Uvalde, Texas. And guess what? He had no relationship with his father. His mother lived out of state, and he had a very poor relationship with his grandmother, uh, whom he actually murdered prior to the 19 in the school. All of them had criminal records, and this 18-year-old, Salvador Ramos's father, said in an interview, he said, quote, and he's referring to his son, he would always say, I didn't love him. Your children know that you love them. Do you tell them? Do you demonstrate it to them? Because the effects of a fatherless home is devastating. Not only to the immediate family, but to our society as a whole. It's deteriorating. It's being undermined. Because we have, again, males, but we don't have those who are standing up and being counted for. Men who are fathers in the home, who are present. Ten years ago, murders committed by teens were at a thousand per year. Now, it's at more than 4,000 per year. Should we uh, blame, uh, what do they call these homes that are not perfect? Dysfunctional. How many of you grew up in dysfunctional homes? All of your hands should go up. <laughs> There's not one perfect home, no, not one. How do I know that? Because none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's how I know that every single home has some sort of dysfunction within it. So should we blame hardships for all of this? No. We cannot. The, the same kids with fathers at home are not committing the same acts of violence with the same frequency. These numbers are due to lack of fathers at home. This, this is what the data shows. In the past 30 years, there has been a 550% increase in violent crime. I pray even more now. 400% increase in illegitimate births. 200% increase in teen pregnancies. 300% increase in teen suicide. You see, confusion is the name of the game as far as the enemy is concerned. Satan, he's out to do this. Steal, kill, and destroy. And he's doing a very effective work with our children. 
fathers, we need to stand up and be counted. We need to stand in the gap. Personally, I can tell you that the dynamics in my home as I was growing up changed drastically when my dad left the house. You know, I, I was a completely different child. And, and I think most of you have heard uh, about some of that. At the age of 11, my dad left. And I went from being a pretty average kid, you know, my grades were decent, A's and B's, and just had a, a home. I played ball and just enjoyed my friends and all of that. But I became very angry and very bitter, confused. I was, um, you know, felt that abandonment. And that impacted me greatly. I, I was a, a very different kid after that. My grades suffered. My attitude suffered. I know my mom suffered because of me. I was a, not a good kid. My whole household, household suffered. And I was the oldest of three. There were many things I did because there was no father in the home. I was angry. I was confused and bitter for many years. And then kids have a way of learning how to deal with all of that. Hide it all within, but it comes out in ways that are destructive. Listen, the home doesn't just need a man in the house, but rather it needs a father. Someone who will be intentional and loving, leading, protecting, teaching, and raising godly kids that know how to persevere through tough times. Not run from marriage, not run from a tough season at work, not run from friendships that aren't presently benefiting them, but learn how to work hard, love deeply, and desire God above all. The importance and value of fathers cannot be overstated. So therefore, as we go through these verses, through the pages of Scripture, it's my intention this morning to point out and, and to teach on fatherhood, that I myself may, may grow in this, and that as we go through Scripture together, that we may all learn and grow together. We're going to first see some poor examples of fatherhood, or a poor example of, I'll give one, Poor example of, of fatherhood. We're going to move along into a good example of fatherhood. And then finally, a perfect example of fatherhood. Let's begin by opening uh, the Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And as you do that... I'll pray for our time. Heavenly Father, again, we ask for your blessing, as has already been asked. But Lord, I second that, Lord. I agree with that. Just asking, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to understand what we have before us. Lord, that we would desire to bless and honor you. That, we would, that you would have our undivided attention. And Lord, that uh, we would certainly and absolutely yield to your word, 
And so therefore, give us understanding. And Lord, we ask that you administer to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12. You all there? All right. So, in, uh, so this is the same Eli, by the way, that Samuel, young Samuel, was sent to in um, Samuel being the one who grew in his faith um, unto, unto the Lord and in his service to him. The same Eli. Now, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt." Can you imagine uh, Eli's sons? This is what they were doing. The people were coming with the offering, with the sacrifice, and they were telling them uh, they would either stick it with that three-pronged fork and whatever they pulled out that was theirs. They were just taking whatever it is that they wanted. It was very offering, though, that that the people were bringing that they would take from. The people even asked for, um, okay, there's a little compromise here. Can you at least let us sacrifice and then whatever is left, then you can take it. I said, no. If you don't give it to us, we'll take it by force. This is why, as we started out in verse 12, it says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. And then the verses that we read after that were, were the reasons why they were considered to be worthless men, wicked men that would do this. In verse 22, it says, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Not only were they taking from the sacrifice, but they were also fornicating. They were actually taking advantage of the women as they were coming to worship the Lord. And they were laying with them, having sexual relations with them as they were coming in, taking advantage of them. Now, we see here how it is that Eli does rebuke his sons. But this is 
somewhat late is they had already been involved in taking advantage of the people. Listen, Eli may have served Israel for 40 years, but it was unfortunately no example to follow. Because we see the consequences as well in verse 27. It says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and go out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. The consequences are clearly stated there. And then in chapter 4, verse 17, It says, he who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there also has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from a seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy, he had judged Israel 40 years. It's a sad story. It's a sad account of a man who had been used by the Lord to bring up young Samuel, who was used mightily by the Lord. He was was the one who anointed Saul, first of all, to be the first king of Israel. And then, of course, we know King David. But again, Eli, even though he had those moments, was not a man who we could look to and say he he serves as an example to us. First of all, his sons were considered worthless men who did not know the Lord. A son or a daughter who knows the Lord, who honors the Lord, is actually a blessing and honors the parents. To know the Lord. 3 John 1.4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Secondly, his sons took advantage of those who came to worship. It says in verse 17 of chapter 2, because his sons took advantage of those who came to worship. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt or lightly. It wasn't something that they honored or revered, respected, looked to and considered to be holy. Set apart for the Lord. In fact, they were taking it for themselves, right? And then thirdly, we see how it was that Eli rebuked his sons, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. As it says in 
verse 25 of chapter 2. At this point, it was too little too late. Fourthly, we see the, the consequences as God rebukes Eli. He was held responsible for his son's actions, ignoring and neglecting to correct what was wrong. Chapter 2, verses 29 and 31. And then finally, we see how it was that the sin was judged in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4. You see, many opportunities are missed because people don't recognize them. Too busy with their own lives to pay attention to others and their needs, even within the same household. Y'all remember who Wayne Gretzky is? Hockey, there you go, hockey. The great, the goat, right? He said this, quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Great wisdom. I'm sure other greats have said the same, right? Whether it be basketball, whether it be baseball, or whatever it is. You'll be 100% successful in the things that you have not been willing to take action in. You will have done very well to fail. Listen, we're, we're no different. You see, to be a good hockey player, or to be a good, you, you name it, you must be focused on the work at hand. Otherwise, if you're distracted, you'll not only lose, but you'll be worthless to your team, to your family, to others, to your church. You name it, right? You may even be a, a liability. Can you imagine the, let's go back to hockey, the, the, the player that is just, while everyone else is there to win and works together as a team, can you imagine one guy thinking like he's part of the ice capades and just going and, and, uh, and, and twirling and doing all kinds of things and, you know, what, what would happen? He might get beat up, yeah. I don't know. Knowing hockey players, he might get beat up, right? He might come out toothless. I mean, he'd be worthless, right? And that's the whole point here with Eli's sons. They were worthless men. That's how they were defined. That's how they were described, worthless men. Men. Enough of tiptoeing around and being soft when really we need to be directly rebuked and told, hey, listen, you're being worthless. That's not, that doesn't mean that you are of no value. That doesn't mean that you're an idiot. That doesn't mean that you're whatever. It does, it's not that. It's to, hey, let's wake up. You're being worthless as it pertains to your marriage, your family, your kids, your church, society. You may even be a liability. There's a story of a young man who was to be sentenced to the penitentiary. 
The judge had known him from childhood, for he was well acquainted with his father, a famous legal scholar and the author of an exhaustive study entitled The Law of Trusts. And the judge, he said this, do you remember your father? And the son said, or the, the man said, I remember him well, your honor. Then trying to probe the offender's conscience, the judge said, as you are about to be sentenced, and, and as you think of your wonderful dad, what do you remember most clearly about him? There was a pause. Then the judge received an answer that he did not expect. The man said, I remember when I went to him for advice. He looked up at me from the book he was writing and said, Run along, boy. I'm busy. When I went to him for companionship, he turned me away, saying, Run along, son. This book must be finished. Your Honor, you remember him as a great lawyer. I remember him as a lost friend. The magistrate muttered to himself, Alas, finished the book, but lost the boy. No, fathers, instead there's times to lose the book and finish the boy. By the way, there are many children today who are in need of a word of encouragement, exhortation, wisdom, direction, leadership, and love. I'm speaking within the church If you're not actively serving and leading within your church, then, you know, what kind of example are we providing? I'm, I'm, I'm asking you men, by what the Lord gives us before, sets before us as far as the standard of, of being a man, is being a father. Stand in the gap. We have been given a great responsibility we should exemplify that, not only within our own homes, but oh, within our, our church as well, while we're out and about. Because if we're falling short in that, would you not be guilty of and in danger of treating the offering of the Lord with contempt? Just as the sons of Eli were? And would I not be guilty of getting fat on the sacrifices of others by not addressing this? Whether you have kids at home or you do not, there are little eyes that are watching here, and they must and they may just take your perspective for what it looks like, what it means to live for the Lord. And the question we ought to ask ourselves is, would your example be worth adopting? You see, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 makes the point of being engaged in the church very clear. As it was purposed by God to build each person up in maturity and holiness toward the Lord. So be deliberate about your fatherhood. Don't miss or ignore opportunities to lead or teach and love on the little ones. It's a poor example. 
Let's go to a good example. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. By the way, he was, um, that was a tough letter. His first letter to the Corinthians was, was very tough. He addressed some, some serious matters within the church. And so this is something that we ought to consider. To be imitators of Christ as I am. As I am pursuing him, as I am walking with him, so come on, let's encourage one another and do the like. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, the Lord gave Joshua the baton, passed it to him. He was the successor of Moses, and he was the one that was tasked with the work of bringing the Israelites into the promised land. But it wasn't without the very presence of the Lord. And at the same time, God shared these words of encouragement with Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1 verse uh, 6, it says this, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Let's stop there for a moment. I, I just want to mention this. As God gave this word to Joshua... Let us think about this. Joshua was this to the nation of Israel. Do not think for a moment that we are not to be stewards to more than just our own household. Sometimes we get so, uh, we get focused narrowly and it's just our family, it's just our, my wife and my children and we lose this bigger perspective. We started out by quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. We have a greater audience. This is not the only Joshua. In other words, the Lord gives us this word so that we may exemplify this characteristic, this, these traits... Among all. So Joshua chapter 1 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So as Joshua was making his way prosperous, so everyone else benefited as well. You had that same mindset. Micah 6 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Hey, listen, perfection is not what's expected. 
that humble perseverance in believing and acting on God is expected. Let's think about Noah. Noah was considered by God to be a righteous man. He was referred to as a preacher of righteousness. Genesis 6, 9 through 10 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Righteous and perfect are not the same as it pertains to you and I. Noah was far from perfect, but he was a man who had a relationship with the Lord, and he listened to God, even though wickedness was all around him. Hey, listen, as wicked as the days are today, they do not compare to the wickedness that were present in the days of Noah. Imagine that. And yet he was a man who was shamelessly obedient to God and was considered a preacher of righteousness. Did he not display the same character as we just read in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9? Definitely, right? Absolutely. No, it was brave, he was courageous, and he protected his family. Because consider this, all else was lost but his family. Right? Let's talk about Abraham. In James 2.23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham was considered a friend of God. Not only did Abraham believe that God would, would fulfill his promise of giving him a son at a late age, right? But also that God would fulfill his promise in that as he called him to sacrifice Isaac, he was willing to do so. Why? Because he believed God's word so much so that he knew this was a son of promise. And if he has called me to sacrifice my son, he will resurrect him from the dead. Imagine having that type of faith. And he did, according to Hebrews eleven nineteen. That's what was going through his mind. Do you trust God's word like to that extent? We have never been tested quite like Abraham was. Noah's righteousness, Abraham's faith, and then Moses' perseverance and faith and relationship with the Lord. Both of the previous men blessed God, and so did Moses in serving their family by serving God. Moses was the giver of, of the law and father to the Jewish people. For 40 years, Moses was a father to, to the Jewish people, leading and judging and interceding or standing in the gap for them. This was tested on many occasions. In fact, there was a moment when Moses, we knew that he, uh, we knew that he uh, was really feeling frustrated. And in a moment, he asked the Lord, hey, if this is the way it's going to continue, just take me now. Kill me, right? But yet he was tested time and time again, and he interceding on behalf of the Israelites. He was, he was definitely a father to them. 
He led the people out of Egyptian captivity and toward the promised land. He dealt with murmuring, backbiting, doubts, idolatry, and so much more. Yet, he also discipled and led the people nonetheless, even in spite of all of that. Why? Because he was demonstrating that his greatest desire was to honor and glorify the Lord. That's the type of example that we should be setting. Fathers, men. Even after Moses had been forbidden from entering into the promised land, this is what was written in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 This is what is written. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all goods that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full... Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God who shall, uh, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Uh, this was a man who, not only th uh, through whom the Lord uh, brought us the law, the very Pentateuch that we have come to know, but he also served as a leader amongst God's people. And he led them out from under the captivity that they knew in Egypt and toward the promised land. You see, good fatherhood is not perfection, of course, and as I've said several times already, but it is serving as an example of humble perseverance in believing and acting on God. That's what we see in these men. With Moses, he persevered. He continued trusting in the Lord, no matter the consequences of his own failures. He continued moving on. Notice that each one, as you go through and study these men, they spent time with God, listened to God, were obedient to Him, and they served Him. Do the same, and in so doing, you'll be a father of the faith to everyone around you. 
including your own sons and daughters. Well, let's move on to the perfect example. Turn with me, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. In verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Oh, this perfect display of God's love is known as the Father sent the Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is, his shed blood satisfied God's wrath toward our sin. That's why the blood of Christ is as it covers us. The Father sees that, and he no longer sees the sin, but the righteousness that we know in Christ. He paid for our sins and satisfied God's wrath. He paid for it in full on the cross. It is a perfect display of fatherhood, a perfect display of love toward you and I. John chapter 17, verse 26 says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the part of the high priestly prayer that we have come to, to title in John chapter 17. But several things that we ought to know is God is perfect in his ways. He is relational. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And in verse 27 it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And then Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim or God. That word that is used is Elohim. It's a singular plural of God. It only applies to God and it makes reference to the Trinity. You see, God, even with these few verses that were just read, by that we have a display of a relational God. You see, we were created out of a relationship for a relationship with Him first and foremost and secondly with each other. And at the fall, this relationship was lost. But of course, we see reconciliation and restoration through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as we yield to him and ask him for forgiveness, he promises that our relationship with the Father will be restored. We will be reconciled unto the Father. You see, God desires communion. It is not a transactional type of a relationship, but one of grace, mercy, and patience, and also forgiveness, sanctification, maturing or growing, trusting, 
as well as discipline for the sake of correction. For God disciplines those whom he loves. Which leads me to the second point, God is love. As we read 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. As I've said many times, we need to understand the definition of love as has been defined, not by the world, right? But by God. Love not only is true, but it is also just. This is the very word of God. The love of God is perfect, and it was expressed toward us by reconciling us to himself through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Love is sacrificial. You see, if, if we took the definition of the world and applied it, there would be no need for a sacrifice. We would just manipulate it and redefine it so that it would fit us and what we desire in our own lives. But yet, the love of God is perfected in us as we come to know and, and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Listen, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God is relational, God is love, and God is faithful. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Fourthly, God is merciful. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The father delights in his children, is generous, oh, beyond measure, desires as he loves for us to reciprocate that love. Not that he needs it, but he desires it. As we do that, we demonstrate to him through our obedience that we truly love him. Our father is redemptive. He desires restoration and reconciliation. God desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Have you reached repentance? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Perhaps this is a moment also to where if you've been prideful or stubborn or have been hard-hearted toward the Lord, even if you have at one point yielded your life to Christ, we can become that. Because of the circumstances of life, if we don't keep, keep our eyes on the Lord, we can grow angry, bitter, and if we don't demonstrate forgiveness or just a yielding to the Lord, perhaps now is the time to know that restoration once more, to get back to your first love. Because our God is patient, but he's also just. So we have a poor example, a good example. And, of course, our perfect example. There are a few gifts uh, since it's Father's Day. 
there are a few gifts I want to leave with you. The gift of Jesus Christ. John 4.10 says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Do you recognize who it is who's drawing you unto himself? He's offering you this living water. The gift of eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So it's only through Jesus Christ. The gift of confident love. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Do not doubt God's love for you. But allow the Lord to be your hope, your purpose, and your prize as you look forward to that day that you are in his presence forever. And the gift, finally, the gift of salvation through faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Our perfect Father sent the perfect gift to save us from our own sin. Instead of spending eternity in hell, he gave us the way to be reconciled unto the Father and know eternity in his glory through the Son. Because the Father's best gift was his Son. He is the good and perfect gift by whom we can know forgiveness of sins, salvation, and a relationship with the Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, as we went through these sections of Scripture, how it was that perhaps we... We saw an example of what it looks like or, or perhaps uh, given thoughts of, of ways in which we have fallen short. Lord, we thank you for all those good examples that we can be encouraged by. As we read about those uh, of Abraham, Noah, Moses, Joshua, We know that there were others, and there are others, Lord. I pray that we would be among those. And so forgive us, Lord, as we have fallen short. I ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and give us wisdom. Help us to be discerning. And Lord, I ask, Lord, that you, is, you would indeed give us that passion for you as, as we consider your love for us and that you have saved us from our sins, Lord, from the consequences of our sins. And Lord, you have assured us of a hope through faith in Jesus Christ that awaits us, Lord, that glory. Pray, Father, that you would be with us today, that we would consider your presence, acknowledge you, and bless you. 
For anyone who has not yielded their lives and known Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray that this very moment, Lord, there would simply be a confession of, of sin, acknowledging that sin has separated us from you, and yet, Lord, through the yielding of our, our sin, the confession of our sin, and the repentance from our sin, Lord, we would know salvation in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that that work would be done in the hearts of whoever it has, uh, is here that does, has not, Lord, surrendered their lives to you, that, that they would know salvation at this very moment. Today would be the day of salvation. And I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen your church and strengthen each and every man to stand up and to be counted for, for your glory, for your honor, with great courage, with great determination, and perseverance, and a great love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.